Amen. In view of what we just sang, and as Dennis rightly said as well, let us then continue in worship now as we pray, yes, but as we turn to the Word of God as well. And so let's go to the Lord and pray, and even as we pray, you also prepare your hearts for the word and to receive the word this morning. So let's let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, we come before you who is sovereign the one who reigns over all things, the one who is God from all eternity. We worship. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy upon mercies that you would have mercy on us, that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we have a hope that is not determined or based upon the circumstances or situation or the time period we live in, but we have a hope that supersedes and is above all and is a hope that goes well into the eons of eternity and it will not be moved. We thank you. And as we are part of this nation, Lord, we come thankful even as we recognize that this week we'll be celebrating Independence Day, we come thankful for the blessings that you have given us here, and they are many. And we don't take those things for granted. And even as we pray in thankfulness, we also ask and pray that, Lord, you would work in our nation. You would lead our nation to repentance and faith in the one true gospel. That people everywhere would humble themselves before you, the living God, even as the people of Nineveh humbled themselves and repented. May our nation repent. And may we, as your body, as the church, may we not trust in anything or any one above you and you alone, may Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And may we indeed do that. We trust in the King of Kings. And so help us this morning as we go to your word, O Lord, that you would help us to come with that disposition, a heart that comes trusting in you who the one who is over all of history and is so sovereign over all things, that one day, this, uh, these days will be wrapped up. And so, may us all hope in you and receive your word and be ready to receive it all this morning, we pray. So give us grace, give me grace by your spirit to faithfully Speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning we will be continuing in John chapter 5. 
So you can begin turning there. And if you remember over these last few weeks, we have been walking through this chapter. And it all began with the healing of the invalid on the Sabbath day. Now, what should have been a reason for great rejoicing as we saw last week, it took a turn towards the first real and specific opposition towards Jesus in this gospel, in the gospel of John. So the Jews and likely the religious leaders more particularly saw this man who had just been healed. They saw him walking around and, and what do they do? They, they don't rejoice at seeing this man and him being or having been healed they stop him and they say, hey, what's up with that mat that you have underneath your arm? And like we saw last week, that was ridiculous. But we also saw last week that from this, that the Jews, they were certainly not happy about this man doing this. And more particularly as well, who had told him to do this, Jesus And so Jesus, he responds to their opposition beginning there in verse 19. And he continues all the way through until the end of chapter 5. So we saw the first part of Jesus' response last week to their opposition. And so this morning, let's pick up here with Jesus' response beginning with verse 24. And I'll read only until verse 29 here. So may we hear the word of the Lord this morning. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now as I read and began reading these verses here, I'm You might have noticed, or maybe you did, maybe you have already noticed as we've walked through the Gospel of John, but this phrase here that Jesus uses, truly, truly, I say to you. So this isn't the first time we've actually seen or heard Jesus use this phrase in the Gospel. We saw it last week there in uh, verse 19, and we saw it. Actually, earlier in the Gospel of John also, in chapter 1, verse 51, with Jesus and as he was talking with Nathanael. So, what does this mean? So, Jesus' words here literally mean, Amen, Amen, I say to you. So, of course, you know, we, we know that word, Amen. Uh, you know, we end our prayers with 
amen. And someone, you know, if you've been in a situation, you know, wherever you are, someone happens to forget uh, to say amen. You know, everyone usually kind of looks around, kind of befuddled. Is, are we done praying? Or, uh, you know, what should we do here? Or someone will just say amen, you know, and end it for them. And so we, we kind of get that uh, there. And so amen, it generally means, so let it be, or so be it. Or in respect to prayer in particular, so let it be in accord with God's will. And just think of that generally. Of course, this isn't talking particularly about prayer here, but just there already we have a lot that we can glean from the word amen. So let it be according to your will, O God. That's what we're saying every time we end our prayers. And so Jesus, he begins his statements here saying this twice, which, you know, may not mean a lot to us. But why did he have to say truly, truly or amen, amen twice? I mean, that's kind of, you know, repetitive. So why does he do that? Well, you know, in his day, saying a word twice was emphasizing it, it was italicizing it, it was underlining it, it was perhaps even capitalizing it to emphasize here that he is saying something important and he wants you to hear it, he wants you to see it. And not just that, he is saying here particularly as the Son of God, as the one who is sent from the Father full of grace and truth, he is saying here that his words are truly true. They are certainly true. So for us, along with you know, Jesus' earlier statement here in verse 20, that the Father shows him all that he himself is doing, we are to come to this and say, seeing what Jesus is doing, the God-man among us, here is revelation of God. Here is capital T Truth. It's not, you know, my truth, your truth, her truth, his truth. It is the truth. And it's appropriate that we see this point now because we also have here the persistent emphasis here again and again on hearing Jesus' words and his voice. Such that, in particular, here we recognize the powerful, life-giving voice of the Son of God. The powerful, life-giving voice of the Son of God. And as we think about that, and we need to think about this, so as we ponder this, this is truly incredible to think about the power of Jesus' voice. So just let's note what we see here in these verses. Verse 24, whoever hears my word, verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live, verse 28, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his, Jesus' voice, and they will come out. I mean, we could, we could just stop there and you would see the incredible power of Jesus' voice. But let me, let me add another layer here. We could look more in the Gospel of John, but I want us to actually come away to another part of the Bible, particularly Hebrews, and add one more layer on top of this 
and seeing the powerful voice of Jesus. So Hebrews 1, it says this in 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Incredible. So as our world is being blown by the waves of our times, right now, like even now, we don't have a savior who is shaken, but a king who is on his throne. By the word of the Son, the universe is presently being upheld. From the depth of the Mariana Trench to the height of Mount Everest, from the earth to the outer edges of the Milky Way galaxy, from our galaxy into the billions and billions of other galaxies and behind them or beyond them, they are being sustained, they're pressing, being pressed forth, they're holding together because of Jesus and his word. Because of not just some impersonal Jesus to us, but it's being held together, all these things, by our King, our Savior. So we are right to be in awe of beholding Christ in Hebrews and right to be in awe of Christ and beholding Him in Colossians. And now we also are to ponder here and wonder at His powerful voice here as well. More expressly, we are right to be in awe here as we behold His power to save we behold his power to save. So Jesus, he says in verse 25, kind of flowing right off of verse 24. So if you know you look at verse 24, it's almost like a hinge verse between verses 19 through 23, and then it informs that part, and then it also kind of flows right into and informs verses 25 through 29 as well. And so it's kind of this verse here and so Jesus says in verse 25 that the hour of salvation is no longer coming it is not an hour that is far off nor is it an hour that the saints of old are still waiting for and longing for but the hour is here here is the one who heals the one who raises people physically with his word, like Lazarus. The time is here for that. The dead, literally. And here is the one who is bringing his kingdom. And this is the Savior, and we are presently living in the days of salvation. 
this word needs to challenge us this morning. It needs to, in the midst of everything that is going on around us, it needs to wipe off blocked vision and dusty eyes and help us to see what our current day is trying to squelch. Right now, the cup set before us this year would seem to have over it written hopeless, like labeled hopeless over it, and hopelessness seems to be filling it to the brim. At least that's what you might think, you know, watching the news or, you know, even this morning glancing at social media for even a moment. You see there is this great sense of angst, a great sense of hopelessness aimlessness, even meaninglessness. Now our days may certainly seem hopeless to many. But look up, hopeless one. Look up, fearful saint. Look up, broken sinner, and see these are the days of the final hopeful message of all messages before the end. Remember the opening words of the Gospel of John here in John 1, 5. Jesus, or it says there, Jesus didn't say it, but it says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the darkness will not overcome it because of Jesus and His voice that pierces through the darkness. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Well, we are in this hour. And all around us, people need to hear this voice because they are dead. That is, they are spiritually dead, as in dead at the bottom of the sea dead. But in the midst of their deadness in the midst of the deadness of the millions upon millions of people in our nation, they need to hear this voice and this gospel. And when the dead hear, they will live. They will be spiritually made alive and one day physically risen again as well. They will hear the voice of the Son of God as in John 3 and be born from above. Yet, in the hearing, they don't, they don't come you know, forcefully, but they come gladly and willingly and even run gladly to Christ in hearing His voice. They respond to this glorious news, the God-man who was crucified, who was buried, and who was risen from the dead. And this point here, the life-giving with the voice of the Son of God, the power to save is informed by the next as well. So see, next then, life is inextricably bound to hearing the Son. The reason the Son can give life is because the Father has life in Himself. And he has, bear with me here, he has eternally granted life through his son. His son who is equal with him, the father. His son who is 
the eternally begotten one, him who was not born unto the Father, him who was not created, nor made, nor lesser than the Father in any way, nor lacking in even one attribute of the Father, this Son is fully God and fully man, and he has life in himself. And this contradicts the current message that we're hearing all around us. We are seeing the culmination of ideas and of philosophies where people have said and they have wondered to themselves as they've gleaned in the way of the world and the culture and everything else. Well, maybe, they're saying to themselves, well, maybe modernism is the answer. Maybe our reason can help us to know God. Maybe my mind and logic and all these things can get me to capital T truth. But then they found out, oh well, that does not actually get us there like we thought it was supposed to. Well then they say, well maybe postmodernism then is the answer. Maybe we can just kind of relativize everything and make truth all a matter of perspective. Maybe that will be the answer. Maybe existentialism is the answer. I can create my own meaning for myself. Perhaps saying things like, uh, my truth and your truth will make things better. Maybe we can get there somehow that way. And then they're finding out as well. And they will find out, oh, I guess, you know, that doesn't really get us there either. I'm really just kind of making this meaning up. It's all kind of uh, this you know, illusion that I'm building for myself. And so then they say, you know, this all seems very and rather hopeless. Well, maybe, maybe the next step then is atheism is the answer. And, I'll, you know, I'll still create meaning for myself, but wait a minute, that doesn't work either. That leads to nihilism, which is meaninglessness. An atheist once wrote, the world rolls round forever like a meal. It grounds out like death and life and good and ill, and it has no purpose, heart or mind or will. Does that give you just well up in you a great deal of hope? Well, again and again, with the ideas and the efforts of the world to pursue a world apart from God, we arrive continually as all these ideas keep coming, keep trying to answer where can we find an ultimate source of hope, an ultimate source of life. We arrive again and again at Ecclesiastes. And the preacher's words there, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Now we know that's not where the preacher ended in Ecclesiastes. But let me ask, so truly, which alternative gives spiritual life? I didn't even mention religions of the world. 
Perhaps you're, you're thinking, well, you didn't mention those, so maybe through my God I can have some sort of hope there. Well, let me just say that outside of one person in particular, you, and I can say this broadly, there is no religion that gives any sure source of hope in the end. You are trying to work or earn or try to get there yourself, but you have no certainty that you will gain any of it. So truly, which alternative gives spiritual life? Jesus. And Jesus alone. He has the corner on hope church. And that is not some mere facade of hope. It's not some whitewashed hope, nor a hope sufficient for some, but not readily available for all. It is true, it is authentic, and it is eternal hope. And we, as the body of Christ, as the church, we have that message. It's by hearing His voice and of His work and His person that men and women, boys and girls, come, believe, and live. And He gives them life. So hear and declare Him. So hear and declare Him. While many would have us yield this message, they would have us give it up in the midst of our current situation, in the midst of the storm full of confusion that we're seeing all around us, full of dust, debris, and mud, and fog upon fog that is blinding and confusing man after man, woman after woman, and boy after boy, and girl after girl. Saints, we dare not be moved from this one gospel, this one lone and only message that gives true Hope, truly true hope and joy evermore. We have the answer to the question. And may we not yield that answer from any pressure, persecution, or force. And you will be pressed. And we are being pressed. Just modify your message just a tiny bit. Just tweak it slightly and we'll lose the gospel. We will not yield, just like Paul, not yield for even one moment to those who would have us change the word of God. So I plead with the lost here. Hear the Son. He can save in Him alone. I plead with the saints. Declare the Son. Declare this message and do not falter now at the point when it is most needed. You will be pressed to to try to give in to the pressure or be uh, tempted to give in to the pressure. But we need to stand. And that does not mean stand in the way of meanness. It doesn't mean stand in the way of hitting people with it. It doesn't mean stand in the way of pushing others into it. It means speaking the truth in love. 
And that is bold. That is Christ-like. Extending mercy and open arms, even as people say we're their enemies. That's what we're to do. Even as we've seen already, right, in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already shown us his open-armed mercy he extends to all peoples. Which leads us then, in light of this needed message at this hour, which leads us then to this next point here, realize the hour is coming. The hour of judgment is coming. And here also we see the powerful voice of Christ. And we behold his power to judge. The hour is coming and now we behold his power to judge. We see this in verse 27 here. The son of man, he has authority not to make a case for someone to be judged, but he has authority to execute judgment. This son who the Jews were opposing would be the same one under which they will have to answer. This is the son of man promised of old, hundreds and hundreds of years before he comes. The son of man spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions and beheld with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed This is God's chosen Messiah whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And not one person or president or ruler or nation shall uproot nor shake nor move our king. While we may be seen as the scum of the earth, as those going against the cultural milieu, as those who are deluded and misled, This could not be further from the truth. Our king is the king of the heavens. And all judgment has been given to him. So notice and note well. All will give an account to him. Jesus Christ is the judge of the living and the dead. And at his voice... In that hour, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So whether you are an unbeliever or believer, it doesn't matter. All will obey his voice and come out. That's power. Believer and unbeliever alike will rise 
then all will give an account. So consider your life and faith now. So consider your life and faith now. The hour is coming. And we believe that, church. We are not atheists. We believe these things to be true. So even as we are in the midst of the thunderstorms of this year, do not let this shake you from the call of Christ, our captain. So every night, you know, when we put our kids to bed, we have kind of a, a ritual that we do. Um, you know, we uh, take them, and I'll take a moment and just kind of pray with our children, each one of them, which, you know, we have four and going on five um, now. And so our three-year-old, Eden, she always asks me, you know, to pray for three things that she's afraid of. You know, when we pray, it's the same thing every night. <laughs> Tonight it will happen as well. So she, she asked me to pray for three things she's afraid of particularly. So uh, one, sprinklers. And we turned the sprinklers on one night, one day. And, you know, initially she enjoyed them. But then she was like, I don't know about this. And so she's now afraid of sprinklers. Uh, two, dogs. And so she's, she hasn't been bitten by a dog or anything like that. She just thinks that may, it may happen at some point. So, um, so she's... Uh, Praise for that. And then storms as well, which I think we all get that one. <laughs> you know, and so storms have kind of regularly uh, been something that have scared her. And I've, in, I've encouraged our children that when they're afraid, you know, to put their trust in the Lord. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. And so, uh, you know, when we're getting ready to pray, she'll say, you know, uh, Daddy, you know, pray for these things, the three and then she'll just say, when afraid, in the Lord. You know, uh, that was, <laughs> that's what she wants me to pray. I need to pray that specifically. Otherwise, she'll say, after I'm done, you didn't pray, when afraid, in the Lord. And for sprinkler dog and storms. So, um, and so every night we pray for these things. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. Well, we, right now, we are in some serious storms. And... Let me urge us, whether you are afraid, and you may be, and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that. I mean, we are human people. We get afraid. Or whether you're afraid or you are confident or something else, put your trust in the Lord. And consider your life and faith now. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in in the Lord. And so live heartily for the Lord now. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your days. Don't waste your hours. Use them well for Christ and for the sake of the gospel. That word above all earthly powers No thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever.
So we keep this in view even as we celebrate Independence Day this week. We are a part of a kingdom that is greater than anything in this world. All of these nations, as history has shown, one after another have fallen. And if you thought one was going to stay, you would have thought it was going to be the Roman Empire. Thousands of years old. Wow. But it fell too. Our trust is not and is not to be in anyone or anything or any person or any president or any ruler or any nation, but in our King, Jesus Christ. And we are part of his kingdom that endures across the nations of history. And honestly, that's why a lot of countries are so afraid of Christians. It's because we're always setting up and saying we have a, a greater king than President Xi in China or Kim Jong-un we have a greater king than you and we serve him and we're facing that same challenge here as well now as we look at these verses here expressly in verse 29 let's just slow down a tiny bit I know we're getting near the end of the time but For just a moment, let's slow down and look at two words here that might have taken you off guard. The words good and evil. Now, if you had written this, would you have put in those words there? (laughs) I mean, what, what words would you have expected to have been put there in verse 29? And I think if we had written this today, or someone had said this today, we might say something like this. So, those who know Christ, those who are saved, those justified by faith, the redeemed, will have the resurrection of life. Let's make it clear. <laughs> but this is not what the text says. It says, those who have done good. Likewise, with the second phrase, We would have said those who don't know Christ, the unsaved, those dead in their trespasses and sins, the lost, the unredeemed, will have the resurrection of judgment. But this is also not what the text says. It says those who have done evil. So how do we, I mean, as we see this, you may be tempted just to say, well, you know what? I'm going to fit this into everything, but I want to make sure that we hear this and hear it well, that when we come to our Bibles, we need to go to the Bible and let the Bible say what it says. We must be careful that we aren't turning phrases around to make ourselves more comfortable. Let's not ease off the pedal of exhortation, nor try to lighten the load of Jesus' words that they may land lighter upon us. If you know what I mean. So let his words stand. Let, let them just challenge us. So what, what are they saying? Is it, are they saying you must, be, you must do good to be saved? Well, certainly not. We've already seen that again and again throughout the Gospel of John. John 1, 12 through 13. The rest of the New Testament, the whole Bible. Instead, it's saying those who know Christ 
by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. And then they are those who are living according to Christ. They will be different, is the point. They are new creatures in Christ. Good, then, characterizes the lives of those who are believers. Now, that does not mean we're not, perf- we're not imperfect. We do sin. We do mess up. Yes, yes, yes. But this is what would characterize those who know Jesus Christ. Not evil, while evil characterizes those who will be resurrected for judgment. Their lives then, evil defining it, their, their lives are contrary to faith in Christ. Their lives are contrary to God's word. Their lives are contrary to love of God and love of neighbor. And they are contrary to Christ and the gospel. So we need to consider, and man, we need to consider this. I've seen this so many times. People who say they know the Lord and they look nothing like Christ. And their lives are characterized by an evil, if we would say, defined by those not living according to faith in Christ, not living according to God's word, not loving God, not loving neighbor. We could also put in there, not loving the church of Christ and not living according to Christ and the gospel. And they are confident that everything is fine. But Jesus is saying and exhorting us, be challenged here. If you are not walking as those who are uh, living according to the values of my kingdom, walking in the way of me, Jesus Christ, those who love me will keep my commandments. You need to seriously be evaluating yourself. Your own life, whether you really know the Lord, Jesus at all. So consider your life in faith now. Now is the time to do that. Examine yourself and then live under the authority of Christ. Live under the authority of Christ. So let's, let's just resolve this now. You know what I mean? A resolve in your heart. Something that you resolve to do regardless of what tides may come and winds may blow you about. You're resolving, anchoring yourself in something. Well, anchor yourself that you will now live under the authority of Christ. We will follow our King and we will follow His instructions. Though many may buffet at his words and Satan will surely oppose us, may we stand firm and hold fast to God's word and the gospel and not be moved. And if you're here and you don't know Christ this morning, hear his voice and live. Hear his voice and live. Believe this one truly true message that gives real hope, not a facade of hope intended to deceive you. Maybe not by the ones who made the idea, but surely by the God of this world, Satan. Believe this truly true message that gives life upon 
life and joy upon joy. Where all your sins, all your debts, all your guilt will be forgiven and atoned for forever through Christ and faith in Christ. And he will save you and you will have a king for all eternity. And the best and the greatest and the most glorious king ever. (laughs) Oh, how I long for you to believe. And there and then you will enter the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's pray together. Father, you are here. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know us. You know where we fall short, you know all about us in every single way of past, present, what we will be in the future. And Lord, as we have heard these things, And as we've read these things, think about these things, help us, Lord, right now to entrust ourselves to the God who knows all things and the God who is good and the God who sent his son Jesus into the world to save us. May we resolve in our hearts Follow our King. Help us examine ourselves, Lord, and pray that you would examine us. Pray that if there's anyone here listening that doesn't know Christ, that even now they would see this glorious message, which is truly true, a hope that does not fail or falter, A hope that is not untrue in the end, but a hope that is true. May they trust in your son, Jesus Christ, right now and believe in him and they will be saved. They will have life even now. And so we ask for your hand that they would believe and trust in him. And if they don't know what to do, if they have questions, may they pursue the next step and talk to me, talk to a friend who knows the Lord. May you work, Lord, in our hearts. And Father, we pray that as we get ready to sing this next song and respond, may all of us respond and not just be um, one or another, but all of us would take to heart your word and apply it to our own lives and minds and, and live it out. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name.